Ephesians chapter number 2 this morning, and we will read most of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, even if you were born and raised in a Christian home and in an environment as this, this still describes you and me. I'm glad there's a lot of past tense verbs used in those verses. And then verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, had he quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved and hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Go down, if you would, to verse number 12. Uh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And then we have that wonderful phrase repeated again. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And then go down to verse number 19. And this is the verses we're going to focus on this morning. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with who? The saints and of the household of God. You know, if the chapter ended there, that would be a pretty big blessing. I'm thankful that I get to be counted a friend of the saints. I'm glad I can come and, and Brother Joel and I met about four or five years ago and uh, the Lord has bonded our hearts together and I am thrilled with the privilege it is to know Brother Joel. And it was amazing that, that uh, the moment we met, it was like an instant connection and that wasn't because our personalities are perfect. It wasn't because uh, we are all headed the same direction. It's not because of any of those things. It's just because we have the similar testimony. We were this, but now we're this. And because we're saints, we can be joined together. What a wonderful thing. But the chapter doesn't end there. Verse number 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And we know this is in reference to the church. It's amazing to be able to be included with the saints. But being a part of the church, that's better. And this morning I want to take just a moment. I want to examine some principles about the church using an illustration if we could. Several years ago I was privileged to be able to go visit the Redwoods. I almost said I was privileged to go to California. That's not a privilege. (laughs) But regardless of California and what it is... It's got some beautiful places. Now I was able to go to the north area of California and see the redwoods. And I'll and I, I, I never forget, I, I love creation. I love seeing how amazing God is. Yeah. If it's from a flower to a, a piece of fruit, I mean, just stop and think about a piece of fruit. 
And how it becomes fruit is God. Oh, we got Brother Simon and his, his dear wife about ready to have a baby. You know what that is? That's God. It's the miracle of God. My pastor celebrated his first grandchild this last week. And uh, there was some apprehension around the birth because of some uh, emergency things last minute. And of course, they're in Ecuador and you never know in a foreign country. And everything went well. And everything about it is miraculous from everything. It's just God. And I remember as I was walking through those redwoods and I, am, I was in just awe. It, you know, you can hear a lot of things about something, but sometimes when you see it, you're just, you can't explain it. And I'm walking around, I, I like to read, and, and uh, you don't want to go to a museum with me. And uh, I like to read things, and I'm reading all these placards, and I'm reading stats about this and that and the other. And I came across a particular placard that got my mind uh, moving in a specific direction. But there was a theme that I saw through all of these placards, and it was this. And I put one word on it because this word was used even in their placards and the word was longevity. They just live. There's a reason they're that big. They live a long time. The average uh, lifespan of a redwood is five to seven hundred years. Many of them live as long as two thousand years. They can hold up to 34,000 pounds of water at one time. An average redwood weighs over 500 tons. Average height, 250 feet. Some over 350 feet. The largest tree, they named it because that's what we do, apparently, is 379 and a half feet tall. It's not uncommon at all for them to be 20 to 25 foot in diameter. Just incredible. And when I started thinking about these trees and their magnificence and all about it, I got looking a little deeper and I got to studying a little bit harder. And I realized something that was pretty incredible. When you look at the trees, the redwoods, they are almost a direct parallel in so many ways to the way that we should want our churches to be. I don't know about you, but I want my church to outlive me. I want it to be around after I'm gone. I'm I'm not in the business of raising my children so that they can go out and make some godless heathen rich. I have no desire for that. And one of my main desires in raising my children is so that they can still be around and in my church and doing what they should in a church long after I am gone. It's amazing when you even look at the name Redwood. It literally means everlasting living. It's not because they never die. It's because they outlive everything else around them. You know what we're finding today? That churches are very short-lived. They should be what lives longer in that area than everything else. The, The neighbors should change. The people leave and come and go, and the church should still be here. The church is the one thing that should outsurvive everything else around it. And I got to realizing, but if we don't implement certain things personally as church members, then there's no chance that the church itself can outlive what is around it. So if I could for a few moments, I want to take just a few characteristics 
that I discovered about the redwood tree and realize if we will implement that into our lives, we can be a true testimony of Jesus Christ. And maybe when people look at us, they go, they just don't stop living. And they may walk into our buildings and it may be a next generation. It may not be our bodies in those pews, but there's bodies in the pews. It may not be us that are still here because maybe we're pastoring somewhere here or, or we're a missionary here or, but there's people here. Why? Because we implemented biblical truths in the word of God. And even though we are not here, there's still something living in our presence because of our testimony and because of our lives. The first thing I realized about the Redwood was this. Their strength is dependent on another. I read about the root system of a redwood tree. Average redwood tree, again, 250 feet tall. The depth of the root system of a redwood tree is on average six feet deep. Now, anybody that builds buildings and understands anything about how to build, you understand that you don't build something 250 feet high and put in a six-foot foundation. So looking at that, I was very perplexed, and immediately I thought, this can't be right. So I I looked at every source I could find, and it's true. But then I got to look a little bit deeper, and I realized this. The reason their root systems only go down six feet is that you never, ever see a redwood standing alone. And the reason they never stand alone is because their root system only goes down six feet, but it spreads out about 300 feet. And it intertwines with the other redwoods standing around it. And the only reason that there's strength in a shallow foundation is because it's directly linked to a minimum of 50 to 70 other redwoods root systems. And if a redwood ever were to be standing alone, it wouldn't stand alone for long. I'm here to tell you today, you cannot stand without the church. And if we don't figure out a way to grow together, we'll fall individually. And without a doubt, I've been around church long enough. In my mind, I'm still about 16. But I know that's not true because I have an almost 18-year-old sitting here this morning. But the reality is I've been around long enough to know this. A lot of people don't last very long. And you always see them starting to separate themselves from the crowd before the tree falls over. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We won't read the whole section for sake of time. Could I take four chapters and summarize it in hopefully about four minutes and illustrate this point. 1 Corinthians is obviously built, written for the church. Everything in it is about the church. It gives us all types of instructions about the church. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, gifts. The Bible tells us gifts, and you see words repeated over and over again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Diversity, another, one. All right? For the purpose of. And the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 gives us the standard for gifts. Everybody in the church is going to have a gift. God's going to give you a gift, and that gift is wonderful. But what we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 is the fact that a gift is given to every single Christian for the singular purpose... Of helping out somebody else. 
And that everybody has a different gift and they're all needed and they're all important. They're all valuable and everybody have it. So let me tell you this morning, you're all gifted. You say, I don't know what my gift is. You should figure it out. Because if you're saved, you have one. And no one's gifted above another. They just have different gifts. And some of those gifts are in front of people and some are not. Doesn't make them better. It makes them all essential. First Corinthians chapter 12, we have gifts. First Corinthians chapter 13, that's the famous chapter. Charity. Here's the point. And if you look at these chapters, they continue. They don't stop. There's not periods. I'm not saying there aren't periods at all. But it's a continuation. Each of these chapters continues the chapter from the previous one. And Paul in chapter 13 says, hey, you can be gifted. But if you haven't got love, you're worthless. That's right. So the, the lesson is this. You need a gift. Why? Because the church needs you. And you need the church. Why? Because God didn't give you all the gifts. He gave you one. But he gave him one. And he gave him one. And he gave him one. And he gave him one. You know the only chance my children have is if I utilize all the gifts in the church to help me raise them. And if I isolate myself and try to raise them on my own, it if, if they end up being decent people, they will be far less than what they could have been if I had surrounded them that's with right. other people, the gifts that yep. I don't possess. Yep, that's right. Why? Because we need to work together. But if I don't do it in love, it is worthless. So we have to have love. Chapter 14. We get some more instructions on that. But the Bible tells us it brings out the importance of prophecy, which we know to be truth. All right, now it can also mean foretelling the future. But we know that we don't have people foretelling the truth that's outside the Word of God. Here's the value of chapter 14. The value of chapter 14 is you can have a gift, you can do it with love. But if it's not grounded in truth, it is once again... Not edifying anyone. Because chapter 14 brings out the point of it's for the purpose of edification. Have anybody ever walked by a fruit tree and all of a sudden a random branch on the bottom of that tree reaches over, grabs a fruit, and it consumes one of the fruits? Anybody ever seen that happen? Anybody ever seen a fruit tree consume its own fruit? But you know what you see all the time? Christians taking the fruit. You know why God gave you fruit? For somebody else to eat it. Yeah. Amen. And the reason he gave you a gift was to edify someone else. So if I have a gift mixed with love and then garnered in truth, it can then be for the purpose of edification. Chapter 15. It adds in the, the last very key ingredient in all of this, and it's the gospel. If we're not first saved or giving the gospel, then what's the point of a gift? And it gives the power of the gospel and the resurrection. It goes through the wonderful parts of the resurrection. And then we culminate in chapter 15 in verse number 58. Therefore, therefore, you say, well, how did you get through all these chapters? Because one day I read 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and it said, therefore. And I just started backtracking and went all the way back to the beginning of chapter number 12. That's why we started in 12. Because one day I had to figure out what the therefore was. Therefore. And verse 58 says, therefore, be ye steadfast. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your what? Labor is not in vain. You know how to make sure your labor is not in vain? Utilize your gift with charity, with the truth, for the purpose of edification. Guess what happens to my life? Steadfast. Amen. Unmovable. Right. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for why? So that you know that your labor is not in vain. 
So the point is this. If I'm going to have any chance of standing and have a longevity, I've got to make sure that my roots are intertwinkled. Why? Because if my roots are not intertwinkled into the church, I'm not going to stand. And my labor will be in vain. Not only do we see their strength is dependent upon another and their root system, but next I want to see their survival is dependent on a word called adaptability. I don't know if you know about this. I'm not not talking about compromise here. All right, I'm not going to clarify that again. We just know we're not talking about compromise. We don't change the word of God. That doesn't change. But if you think you're going to live your entire life and not have to adapt at some point, in order to keep doing what you know is right to do, you're in for a rude awakening. Floods, they're one of the worst killers of trees. You say, what? They need water. Yes, but not floods. All right, floods kill trees. You say, well, why do floods kill trees? Floods kill trees because if you have a flood with flooding, how many of you have ever had a home or anything flooded? All right, thankfully not many. All right, it's horrific. All right, I haven't, but I've had to go in after someone was, had a house that was flooded and try to help out. It's a mess. The amount of dirt in a house with closed doors is mind-blowing. But when a flood, what happens is the, literally the ground level rises. So anything that is, any trees in the flood zone, what happens is now the level of ground at the bottom of the tree has been raised. And in a serious flood, it can be up to many feet at a time, especially if they're in that Worst part of the flood. And what happens is, is the reason that the tree dies is not because of too much water. The tree dies because the ground level has risen. And therefore, when the rains come, the roots are too far below the surface and they cannot get the water. Redwoods are unique in this way. They can survive floods and they have found redwoods that have survived at least that they know of seven different floods. And the reason that they know is because every time a flood comes and the ground is level, the, the redwood literally takes and the root system rises. That doesn't go up the tree. It creates a completely different root system, the same distance from the level of the, from the ground as there was one before. They grow a new root system. Why? Because they know if they don't have access to the water, God designed them without water, they cannot live. Christian, you're designed. If you don't get the water of the Word in you every day, you die. And the reality is this, in life, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a flood or two. Sometimes that flood is a flood of blessing. And we forget, we get ungrateful. And we get away from the Word of God. Sometimes that flood is a flood of cursing. And we get upset and we get, life gets busy. Sometimes it's a flood of just raising children and life changing in children and the busyness of raising children. And, and these new ones about to be parents, they're going to realize real quick, guess what? If you don't adapt to the life change that that child brings, the word of God in your life will suffer. Right. Your life now, the way I read my Bible now is nothing like I read my Bible before kids. I get a way earlier. Hey, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying this. If we don't adapt to the circumstances of life, the water of the word will lose its priority. And the next thing you know, the root system is not getting the water it needs. And the leaves are going to start dying. And before you know it, this tree is going to fall over. Not only do they have an amazing ability to to do that. Psalms chapter 63. 
O God, David says, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. I know that's what you want. I know that's what we desire. But if we don't implement what it takes to get the water into our lives, whatever changes that makes, you say, well, I have to read my Bible in the morning. Well, if your mornings get taken away, you might want to read it at night or read it in the afternoon. There's nothing in the Bible that says it has to be at a specific time. I recommend you read it in the morning, during the day, and at night. And when you're not doing that, you're listening to it. I recommend that. But the reality is this. We get stuck in our ways. Well, this is the way I've always done it, and this is the way it is because this is biblical. No, it isn't. It's just the way you did it. Find a new way to get it in. Hey, if you don't have a Bible.is or a Bible app on your phone that you can listen to, that's just another avenue. Why in the world do we use our cell phones for everything else? Why in the world can't that be one of those things? You know what that is? That's adapting to the life that we've been given. They have another amazing thing that they do. It, there's a thing on, that grows on the bottom of wet redwoods. It's called a burl. B-U-R-L. Burl. And if you look at a redwood, and you look at any picture of redwood, they're easy recognizable because it looks like a wart growing on the side of this tree. And they're big. I mean, the trees are huge. I mean, these burls will be this big around. And the burl is, is there for one specific purpose. It contains within it the genetic mapping code of its parent tree. And it sits dormant. It's like a medicine sack hanging on the side of the tree. And what happens is, let's say that there's a, a, a tornado or a windstorm and a piece of wood or a piece of metal hits the side of that tree and it scrapes off the side of that tree. The moment that happens, the tree sends a signal down to one of those burls and the burl becomes active and it releases to the tree the healing it needs in order to solve the damage that has just been done. And immediately those chemicals, whatever you want to call it, nutrients, go to the damaged part of the tree and heal the damaged part of the tree. Burls are even more than that. They don't just heal damage. They actually promote growth. If a tree, if if a redwood tree falls over, it it lives its term and falls over. As soon as it falls over, every burl in that tree goes active. And if you put a little dirt and water on that, which usually happens over time with sediment, guess what happens? It grows an entirely new redwood tree right out the side of that redwood tree. It doesn't just heal damage. It brings new life when the death of that tree has happened. You know what that is in the life of a Christian? Forgiveness. You know why we got Christians running around with open sores? Look at what he did to me. I can't believe he did this to me. This hurts so bad. God says, I gave you a burl. It's called the Word of God. It's called the Holy Spirit. Why don't you heal it and quit complaining about it? Go and forgive them and move on and go. We got Christians dying left and right because we can't get over something somebody did to us. I can't believe they did that to me. Why can't you believe that? What makes you so good? They probably should have done worse. I'll never forget, you were probably there, preacher, Brother Farley. He says, I don't know why you get upset when people talk bad about you. Just wait till they start telling the truth. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in that. 
you know what? Hey, you live your life. Guess what's going to come out? The truth. But you know what I found out working with college kids? They ain't patient. I'm not either, but they're even less patient than I am. You know what you got to do? Let time do its thing and let God do his thing. You know, 2,000 years ago, the worst scene that's ever been seen on the face of the planet took place on Golgotha. And the biggest pain and hurt that mankind has ever seen or endured happened that night when Christ died. But because of forgiveness, you know what it did? It propagated life to every person that would ever believe. And out of forgiveness sprang life. Stephen's being stoned. Father, forgive them for they. And out of that forgiveness sprang the Apostle Paul. You say, well, that's not why Paul got saved. I'm not saying that is. I'm just saying that happened. There was forgiveness and we see life from it. I'm telling you this. You might be surprised what comes out of hurt if you just take it to the Lord. And there's no way that this church or you in this church are going to survive if you don't exercise this continually. Not only do you need the water, you need forgiveness in order to survive and adapt in this amazing, horrible world in which we live. The last thing I want to show is this. Their sustainability is dependent on adversity. The bark of a redwood averages over one foot thick, just the bark. It's bark unlike any other tree on the planet. It contains no pitch, just a substance called tannin and a water-filled sap. And the singular purpose for this bark is for fire resistance. The bark of a redwood acts exactly like a heat shield on a re-entry vehicle from space. That as the heat intensifies, it literally becomes something else that keeps everything within it safe. The placard that really got me thinking about it is I read about how in the 50s and 60s, they had been extensively logged before that time and redwoods were starting to become a thing of the past. And so government stepped in and foresters stepped in, which, you know, they never do everything right. So... Uh, they didn't this time either. And I'm glad they're still around. I'm glad they saved them and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things they started doing in the 50s and 60s is they made sure that there was no fires because it was fires were devastating the redwoods. So they, they put in all types of fire prevention things and, and literally overnight stopped all the fires in the redwoods. Well, then as they started studying these redwoods 10, 15 years down the road, they realized that these redwoods were weakening and they were falling over and they couldn't figure out why these redwoods were all of a sudden uh, susceptible to disease and they were all these things they never had a problem with. All of a sudden, they had a problem. And they realized the problem was fire prevention. And so what they started doing is they literally started lighting controlled fires within the redwoods and instantly the redwoods started strengthening again. My point is this. Christian, guess what you were built for? The fire. God didn't save you so you could sit on your couch eating potato chips and watching Alabama beat everybody else on the planet. (laughs) Yes, I'm bitter about it. That's not why God saved us. You know why God saved us? For fire. 
And guess what? If he saved us and designed us so that we could go through a fire, why do we freak out so much when God's just trying to put us through something that will make us drought resistant, yeah. disease resistant, yeah. bug resistant, Come on. and resistant to all those things in the world that we can't keep out because we've put all the fires out. Come on. You say, well, how do you put all the fires out? It's me, my family, and nobody else. We're not going to go soul winning. We're not going to do anything else because there's wicked people out there. I'm not preaching a family message. I'm just saying this. If your kids have never seen fire, they're falling over one day. Come on. Hey, you throw them in a public school, you literally have no brains. I'm not talking about public school. I'm not talking about throwing them to the world and say, hey, teach my kids all the humanism in the world, and I'm going to turn them into godly people. That's not. We're not talking about extremes here. We're talking about what's right. And we're good at extremes. Well, I shouldn't do this, so I'm going to go all the way over here and do this. All right, I don't like Kool-Aid with too much sugar, so I'm going to leave sugar out. Nobody's going to want it. Put the right amount. Right. I'm not saying you throw your kids to the world and say, Hey, you know what? You're going to have to endure it sometime. I know you're only 15. But, hey, go out there in the mall and have, I'll pick you up in eight hours. Go do whatever you want to do. I'm not talking about foolishness here. I'm talking about church has soul winning and you bring a teenager down here and say, I need you to knock on a door and I need somebody to slam the door in your face. I'm going to put you in an environment where somebody's going to make fun of you. Hey, I make fun of my own kids. Why not? They're weird. They came from me. What could I expect? Hey, my point is simply this. I'm afraid sometimes we're so concerned that a fire is going to hurt us, that we eliminate all the fires. Hey, you know why God made us parents? So that we know which fire and how hot it should be. Because one day they're going to walk outside the house and how hot and how intense the fire is, that's up to God. But as long as they're in my house, I get to control the heat. I have my hand on the dial of the oven and I get to tell how hot it is and how long they're going to bake. But if I don't ever put them in the oven, one day they're going to walk out of my house and they're going to walk straight into the oven and they're going to realize, I can't do this. I have no idea how to do this. I have no, nothing built up for this. And they're going to fall. We were built for fire. So why in the world do we run the moment it gets hot? Hey, those three boys went into that fire. And when they came out, a nation fell on their knees. Yeah. Amen. I think we might be amazed if we quit hating the fire. Hey, we don't need nobody going around starting fires. All right? I don't need no fire bugs in the church house. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying you're going to love the fire. Nobody in their right mind loves fire on them. Now, boys love playing with fire. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about loving it. I'm not talking about starting it. I'm just talking about when the fire comes. We don't run from it. When we find somebody within our church that's living real close, that has the same root system, that's feeding off the same water, and we sit down with them and say, Brother, I'm in a fire right now with my kids, and I don't know what to do. I was wondering if maybe... You could tell me what you might want to do or what you think I should do 
Or if you don't have any clue, how about we just pray about this? Would you pray with me about this? Because I'm in a fire. I have no idea what to do. You might watch that bark get so strong that the tax come on this church and the tax come on your family and you've built up such a resistance because you've held close to the man of God and the house of God and the people of God that when the fire comes, you just hug that church a little bit closer and say, I don't know about this fire, but I just need some help right now. One of our dear friends, Sarah Wood, just had cancer. She has horrible health problems. And she, she had terrible cancer, and it wasn't far advanced, but with her health conditions, any type of cancer was beyond horrible. You know what she did? She immediately got a hold of a few of us and said, Hey, I'm going to be fasting for two or three weeks. I appreciate it if you would pray. You know what we did? I said, you know what? You're in the same stand of trees we are. You're in the same root system as we are. Yeah. Hey, if you're not eating, I'm not eating. We can fast together. Yeah. We can take this to the Lord together. Yeah. And two weeks ago, her cancer's in remission. Hallelujah. And her doctor that hasn't ever given God in a second day goes, I don't know what happened here. And I don't know how to explain this. But with no medicine, praying and fasting, your cancer's gone. You know what that is? That's the church working like it's supposed to work. That's called a fire. That's called an intense fire. And that's called, you know what? We're in this fire together. We're not hating the fire. We're not mad at the fire. We're just going to find out who can put the fire out. And if he chooses not to put this fire out, we're going to burn together. 